14. Uh, not chapter 14, chapter 25 and verse number 14. And when you have it, say amen. And it says, beginning in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he had also gained other two. But he that had received one went and, digged his, went and digged his talent in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Verse 19 says, After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he that had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast that is thine. And so this kind of, I've, I've always read this parable in a certain way, in kind of an immature way, I guess. And so when I, I sat back and started studying what this was actually saying, the Lord kind of showed it to me in a different light and spoke some things to me in, the, in a different way. And that's what's awesome about God's word is that every time you pick it up, that there's something new that God is, is speaking to you, that you're never going to understand every single jot and tittle that's in the Bible. But every time you pick it up, it means something, though, and it has meaning in your life. And so tonight I... I only pray that the word that God spoke to me and convicted me and, and challenged me that by the time we leave here tonight, that God would speak something into your life tonight, too. In the name of Jesus, dear God, we thank you, God, for your word here tonight, God. We thank you, God, for the presence, God, that we feel in this place, God. We thank you, God, for the liberty, God, of the Holy Ghost, God. And we pray, God, that tonight, God, that your word, God, would find good ground tonight, God, that it would speak to us, God. I pray, God, that your word, God, that you would communicate through me, God, with clarity, God, that, God, that your word, God, would have power, God, and authority, God. I pray, God, that you would bind up, God, any distractions, God, in our minds, God. Give us open ears, God, to hear, God, what you would speak to us here tonight, Lord. I pray, God, that you would have your way, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And so the, the title of my message tonight is just a, just a simple title, nothing fancy. Um, an investor or a neglector, and so when we when we read the parables in the in the Bible, especially in the in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we we find that they're used to convey a message to the, to Jesus's followers, and that was one of his primary ways of teaching was to was to harness the power of story. 
And so you find that in Matthew chapter 13 and 11, the disciples asked Jesus, why is it that you speak to these people in parables? And, and Jesus answered them in the following verses, and he said that, you know, you know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but these people that I'm speaking the parables to, they don't know. You know, they see with their eyes, but they don't see with their hearts. They, they hear with their ears, but they don't hear with their, with their spirits, though, and they don't understand the things that I'm speaking to them. And so Jesus, his intent through parables was to reveal things that were previously made secret. The purpose for his parables was specifically designed to provide clarity and revelation, you know, in, in his word. And, and the emphasis on the teaching of the parables was upon the condition of the people that were, that were hearing. And so the people who didn't want to understand the parables that he was speaking would, would close their minds to it. But the people that were hungry after God, that they were, they were hungry after what, what Jesus had, they were hungry after what the disciples had, that their minds would eventually be open to the things that Jesus was speaking to them. And, and so Jesus begins to describe the, the way that a parable would work in someone that, that wants to hear what he's saying. And he begins a series of parables in Matthew chapter 13. And I'm not going to read them, but, but you find that, 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 that it's like a seed that's being sown that, that, that is going to eventually come through the earth and it's going to take light. And, and that's what, if, if, we're, if we're willing to hear the word of God, if we're willing to understand it, then eventually there's going to be a revelation that comes through the word of God. And so you find in Matthew chapter 24 in the Olivet Discourse that Jesus begins to warn his disciples about the second coming of the Lord. And, and knowing what Matthew chapter 24 says about the second coming is that we can understand the context of the parables that are in Matthew chapter 25. And so the first 13 verses of Matthew 25 tells us about the parable of the, of the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And, and they were to wait on the, on the coming of the Lord. They were to wait and maintain the oil that they had, and they were to wait on the, to, to meet the bridegroom. And so you also find in the passage of Scripture that we read the parable of the talents that, you know, when studying these Scriptures, you see that the, these parables are warning us believers, us Christians, that to be ready for the return of Jesus, to be ready for the return of our Lord and Savior. And so you find in both parables in Matthew chapter 25 that there was a delay in the Master's return. And so that tells us that we're, we don't know exactly when he's coming, but we're expecting him to come back. You know, it's been preached for 2,000 years, and people, there may be naysayers that say, oh, he's, he's not coming. I, I, he's not coming right. He's not coming soon. It's been preached for 2,000 years, but I believe that, you know what, he's still coming soon. I might not know the day. I might not know the hour, but I know that Jesus is coming back for his church, that I'm not going to make this world my home. I'm not going to settle for temporal things in this world because I know that my Lord is coming back. And so this parable of the talents is written to give us warning in the context of Jesus's return, and it's written to give us instruction on what we should do while we wait on his return. And so the first thing that you see in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14 is that the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants. You notice it says his own servants. And so the Greek word for servant here, it could translate into, uh, in this context as, as bond servant, which in some commentaries says that it could have been someone that, that chose to, to be purchased by that particular master, that they sold themselves voluntarily into slavery to that particular master, or other commentaries put it this way, that it was someone who also reaped the benefits of the master's money, who also was, I guess, somewhat kind of 
business partners in, in, some, in some way where they, they still receive some sort of wage. So it wasn't, it wasn't slavery the way that we know it, but it was, it was someone that voluntarily gave themselves to a master because they, because they loved that master, because they wanted to serve that master. And so whether we know it or not, that tonight we're servants of something. We're either going to be servants of God or we're going to be servants of the world. We're either going to sell ourselves to God or we're going to sell ourselves to the things of this world. You know, a servant of the world is someone who lives their lives under the influence of sin. And, you know, we may be oblivious to it sometimes, but, but we sell ourselves into worldly bondage by the things that we say, the way that we behave, the, the places that we go, the things that we listen to, and even the things that we allow to come into our minds. You know, we have to be careful about the things that we allow occupy our time and the things that we allow to influence our minds and the voices that we allow to speak to us. We have to be aware of the voices that we allow to come into our ears. And so it's easy for us to sell our service, to sell ourselves to, to the things of this world. It's easy to sell ourselves to temporal things that don't matter much in the long run. It's easy for us to occupy our minds on how much money we can make or how many hours we can work on our job or how many, how many things, good things we can do, how many, how many charities we can give to. It's easy for us to occupy our minds on how nice of a house we can live in or how nice of a car we can drive or how, even how nice of clothes that we can hear where and, and it's easy for us to to listen to the voices that tell us you need this new thing and you need this little gadget and you need to spend less time in church and more time giving yourself to these other things and and we it's easy for us to tune into those worldly voices and and for to allow them to defile our minds and it's easy for us to become servants of the world but today i want to tell you that you have a choice you're not you're not bound down by you know you're not you're not, you, you voluntarily give yourselves to things. And so just like you have a choice whether you want to serve the world, you also have a choice whether you're going to be a servant of the Most High God. And so you can, you can choose to be a servant of God. And so Romans chapter 14, verse 7 and 8 says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, whether we live or whether we die, therefore we are the Lord's. And so we are the Lord's servants. Paul emphasized our union with Christ in this, in this passage of Scripture. He emphasized our responsibility that we have as servants to, to not give ourselves to the things of this world, but to give ourselves to spiritual things, to give ourselves to prayer, to give ourselves to the, to the ministry of the Word, to give ourselves to fasting. Paul emphasized our obligation to give ourselves wholly and completely to God and not to the world. First Corinthians chapter six, verse verses 19 and 20 says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God and you're not of your own for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify your God in, in your body and in your spirit, which are of God. And so here Paul says that our body is not our own, but it's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that when we receive the Holy Ghost, we receive that Shekinah glory in us. We receive that Shekinah glory of the tabernacle that was imparted into our spirits. You know, and now God, God said, you know what? Since I put my spirit in you, I'm going to call you my own. You're, I'm going to call you my own. You're my child. You're my servant. You're mine. You don't belong to the world anymore, but you belong to me. Your service belongs to me. Your service doesn't belong to these temporal things anymore. All the baggage that you once carried, all the sin that you once carried, he took that from you and he and he bled and he covered it and he bought you he bought you with his blood and so now that we have that spirit living inside of us 
is supposed to be used for the purpose, the sole purpose of glorifying and magnifying God. And so before, before the Holy Ghost, before we were filled with the Spirit, our lives, they were defiled. We were involved in things that were leading to sinful and a horrible slavery. And, they, and they were, we were being led into things that could potentially defile and destroy our entire lives. You know, the, the things that we said were unclean, the, things, the places that we went to, the things that we thought were unclean. If we were in the Old Testament, we would cry out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, don't touch me. But you know what? We've been bought with a price, though. And everything that we once carried, God took that on his own self. He carried all the baggage that you once carried on your back, all the heaviness that you once carried. He took that upon himself on the cross, and he said, since you're my servant, the things that you call yours, I'm now going to call mine. The sins that you call yours, I'm now going to take that on. You know, it doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter what the, what the devil speaks to you. Oh, you're not good enough because you did this in the past. You know what? Your insecurities might speak to you and say that, you know what? You're, just, you're, you're that one-talent servant. You can't really serve God. But you know what? God took all those sins of the past and he carried them on the cross. And now we're not servants of the world. We're not even servants of ourselves. But Matthew 25 and 14 says that we are now the master's own servants, that he owns us. And so you also find when you read this scripture that, that we are called. And so that, that may seem like a basic observation in this passage of Scripture because it, it says it plainly that the master called his own servants. And so I don't think it was just some regular call like, like when I'm at work and my supervisor says, hey, Jonathan, get your, get your uh, what did Nathan say, or Brother Harrelson, your patootie down here and get this job done. Stop standing around and talking. Get yourself over here and get to work. Or, or like whenever I was a teenager, like my dad would come in and see the dishes not done. He called me, hey, Jonathan, come in here and get these dishes done before your mom gets home. And see, it wasn't just some regular call to, to just some service that didn't matter. It, was, it wasn't just some call, hey, you servants, come here. I'm going to be gone for a while. I need you all to look over some things. I need you all to watch some things, make sure that the place doesn't burn down while I'm gone. It, it wasn't just some, some regular call to attention to these servants. No, he, he chose these servants. He, he said, I want these three servants to come and, and look after this, and I'm going to give them some responsibility. I'm going to give them some work. You know what? You read in the previous parable of the ten versions that they had to wait on the coming of the Lord, but, and you know, they had to maintain the oil that they had for their lamps for when, the, for when the bridegroom got there. But in this parable, it goes a little deeper that we're no longer here just to wait on the coming of the Lord. We're no longer just to maintain the oil that we have, but you know what? There's some work that we have to do because he's gave us something that we have to work with. We all have talents and abilities. The Bible says that he delivered to his own servants his goods. And so the master, he gave them, he gave them assignment while he was gone. They didn't only just wait for his return, but they were called to actually do something. And so there's this story that Brother Patterson tells sometimes whenever he's preaching about a, a lady that got the Holy Ghost, and she was searching for the Holy Ghost for a long time. And, and when she finally got the Holy Ghost, the next, the next Sunday morning or evening, the next service, when the altar call happened, she was sitting in the back row. And somebody went up to her and asked her, why are you sitting in the back row? You got the Holy Ghost. You ought to be up there shouting and praising God because you got the Holy Ghost. And she said, no, nah, I'm good because... I got the Holy Ghost. I don't have to do anything else now because I'm saved. 
But that, that, that mentality, that way of thinking is false because the whole, being filled with the Holy Ghost is just the beginning of, of what God wants to do with it. Being filled with His Spirit is just where it begins. We can't just stand and be idle whenever we have that Spirit inside of us because that's the resurrection power that Jesus had on the third day that He's imparted that to us and, and we're, we're called to do something with that. So that's only the beginning. And so you find when He is filled us with his spirit when he's filled us with the holy ghost just like in the in the word here it says that he delivered unto those servants his goods that when we've been filled with the holy ghost he's delivered unto us his goods he's delivered unto us part of him something that he called his you know what before we received the holy ghost we didn't have anything of our own except for our own sin but now that he's delivered us his goods he's trusted us with his power and you know what he's trusted us with the goods and he's called us to do some work for him and that he's put a purpose on our lives and so the master in this parable he gave one servant five talents he gave another servant two talents and he gave another one one talent and so if, if you're like me and you used to read this parable in kind of an immature way, it, I used to think when I was younger, I'm that one talent servant. You know, I don't, I'm not really good at all that much. And so I would really take a, take a look at that word talent and, and read it in kind of the English terms and say something that we're good at, something that a natural born ability that we that we have. And I would look at it and say, well, I'm, I mean, I'm not the most athletic person, but I like sports. I'm competitive. I'm good at talking trash, so I guess that's my one talent. Um, I'm good at running my mouth. They call me motor mouth at my job. Some of you might not know that. I might be quiet around some of y'all. But, um, but you take, a, you take a, a good look at that word talent, and, and you read it in the, in the original language, and, and it, it, it means a, a sum of money. You know, and, and, I look at, and I look at that one talent, and when I used to think that I'm a one-talent man, you know, uh, you know, I can't sing. I sound like a dying walrus whenever I sing, and, and I'm probably I'm not the most athletic. You know, I'm going bald, and I'm 27, so I don't really have that much going for me. I may have topped out at 27, but, but um, anyway, so I used to, I used to look at this, this word talent and read it in that way, but you come to realize that that talent was a sum of money, that even that one talent servant that that you, you, you look at him and you might sympathize with him and you, and you say, man, he didn't have as much as what the others had. He didn't have what he had. He didn't have what this guy over here had. You know, I, I didn't have what, what, what they gave Brother Nathan. I didn't have what they gave Brother, Brother Adam or, or what they gave Brother Chad. You know, I don't have that much to work with here. And so, and so you look at that servant and you're, and you're like, you know, I can kind of sympathize with this man. Because when you, when you, uh, when you keep reading, you, you say, well, he didn't lose his talent. He didn't, he didn't, uh, his talent didn't rot. You know, he just, he went and buried it. And when, when the Lord came to, to bear record of him, he gave it back to him. And it was, it was nice. It was probably, he probably washed it after he dug it up out of the ground, polished it up. And so here you go, Lord, here's your talent back that you gave me. And so you're like, you know what? God's going to understand. God understands because he didn't really have that much, you know. And that's the, that's, the, that's the mentality that sometimes we have as Christians is that whenever we feel like God didn't give us what, what they gave him, God didn't bless me with what he blessed them with, and we begin to think about the, oh, the woe was me, the poor me, because I don't have what he had, and I don't have what she had. And then we begin to think, you know what, I can just sit back, and I can just rot on the pews, and I can just be like this one-talent servant and just go bury this in the ground, because what good is it going to do? Because I don't have as much as what they have. And, 
And you know what? We begin to think God knows my heart. You know, we, we've heard people say that God knows our hearts. God knows what we're thinking. We mean well. And this, maybe this servant meant well when he buried his talent. Maybe he was trying to play it safe. But you know what? We can't get caught up in that trap that we don't have what they have. We don't, haven't been blessed with what they've been blessed with. And you know, we have to put God's goods that he's given us to good work. We have to actually do something with it. And so you find that even just one talent could have been worth 6,000 days worth of pay and silver. And when, when I looked at that, I was like, my God, I wish I could have 6,000 days worth of pay. I mean, that would be awesome. I could go to Bulgaria, me and my wife, we could go to Bulgaria right now if I had that. But, uh, and, and it could have been, it could have been a, a weight measured from 60 to 80 pounds. The heavier that it was, the more, the more it was worth. And so whatever one talent was, we know that it was, it was worth something. It had a lot of value in it. And, and you find that the, the master gave to every man according to his several ability. And so the master gave these servants everything that they needed to accomplish the will that God and the purpose that God put on their lives. He gave us everything that they needed to complete the task that they were expected to complete. And so you find that they weren't wanting for anything, that they, that they weren't without anything. They had everything that they needed because the master provided more than enough for them to, to work with. And so the large amount of goods that the master handed to the servants, you find that it represented an opportunity for the servants to use their God-given abilities for his glory. And so we, we, we get to thinking sometimes, what, what can I do? You know, how can, how, what can I do to, to, to get my name out there? What can I do to to, to uh, make people know who I am, you know, and, and we, got, we get stuck in that trap sometimes of, you know, I can use my talents and my abilities to, to further myself, but that's not what we're called to do as children of God, and we're called to, to invest what he has given us into his kingdom and not in this world, to not lay our treasures up in, in things of this world, but to, but to lay our treasures up in heaven. And, and you, uh, this, this talent, it represents the opportunity that the servants had to be used by God. And so you say, bro, I don't have any talents. Yeah, I can sympathize with you there, but God's not looking for how well you can perform. God's not looking at how much you have. God's not looking for people who, uh, who are perfect. You know, God's not looking for people who, who think that they're, they're sufficient in their own selves, but the Bible says that our sufficiency comes from the Lord. And so God is looking for someone who's willing to, to get up out of their seat and someone who's willing to get their hands dirty working for the kingdom of God. So God's looking for someone that's available. And so if God sees that you're available to serve him, then, then he's, he's going to invest gifts in you that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do except for he gave them to you. And so you find the more you do something, the more you find something that you love doing, like me playing the guitar. And, and since, I've, since Brother Harrelson has let me start preaching, even though I'm nervous when I do it, I, I, I fall deeper and deeper in love with it the more that I do it. And, and there's this passion that gets inside of me that, you know, there's something that I have to do with something that I've got to give to the Lord. But, but the, more, the more I do something, the more that I get involved in something, I find that, that someone else is always going to be better than me. That there's someone else is always going to be able to do a task better than what I can do it. 
But you know what? God's not looking for the person who can do the task the best. He's not looking for the person that can sing the best. He's not looking for the person that's the most well-spoken. He's not looking for the most charismatic and the most well-rounded person, but he's looking for someone who is willing and who is available to get their hands dirty in the kingdom of God. He's looking for someone who has that availability to, you know, to say, you know what, I want to be used. You know what, I want to be a vessel. You know what, as Brother Harrelson says, I want to be a pipe. You know, I want to be used by the Lord, and it's not for me, it's not about me, but it's about glorifying my God. And so the question is that I want to ask you tonight, what are you going to do with your opportunity that God's given you? And so there's two things you can do with it. You can invest it or you can neglect it. And so you see in verse 15 that, that the servants, they received the talent, and, and it says, and they and straightway took his journey. and that's meaning that as soon as the as soon as the servants received that talent, as soon as they received that opportunity to go do some work, they immediately went and started trading the money that the Lord gave them. They immediately went and put that talent to work. You know, they couldn't wait till tomorrow because they didn't know when the master was going to return. He could have came back in an hour. He could have came back in a day. He could have came back in a week. They didn't know when he was going to come back. So they said, you know what? I got to go ahead and I've got to start now investing this talent in, into, the, into the king's economy. I've got to go ahead and start investing what the Lord has given me into his kingdom. I can't wait for someone else to do it. I can't wait for someone else to take a step of faith out there and say, you know what? I'm going to do what the Lord's called me to do now. I've got to get busy working for the kingdom now. I can't wait till tomorrow. And so you find the five talent servant went immediately and he started trading. The two talent servant, he went. You know what? He didn't look at the five talent servant and said, he's got more money than me, so he's got a better chance of succeeding. He didn't pay any attention to what the five talent servant had. He said, you know what? I've got two talents. I've got to go and I've got to get to work. I've got to double this. I've got to do whatever I can do because I want to please my, my master. And so they couldn't wait a day. They couldn't wait a week. They couldn't wait a, a year to get to work, but they, they didn't procrastinate with what God gave them, but they got to work immediately. And so you find that the, the one talent servant, he immediately went and did something too. He immediately started thinking, I don't have what they have. You know what? He immediately went and, and he put energy and, and effort into burying that talent in the ground. And you know what? I began to think that if he would have put the same energy and the same effort into investing that talent, into, into putting that talent to good work, instead of putting all his energy into burying it in the earth, that, that something could have happened. God could have used that man for something. You know, if that man would have just been available to do things the Lord's way, that God could have used him for something mighty and, and for something great. And you see that oftentimes that, that when a person is unavailable to do a service for God, that, that someone else is always going to step in and God's going to call someone else to do that. It's kind of like what uh, Brother Wells was talking about this morning whenever he was teaching is that, Whenever you're up praying in the altar and, and God's moving you to, to go pray for someone and you're sitting here thinking about it and you're like, if you're like me, you're shy and you're second guessing yourself and geez, I don't know. I don't know, man. Should I go pray for that person? Uh, I think I'm going to hang back and think about it for a minute. And then here comes, here comes Mark running from the back of the church. He goes and lays hands on that person and God uses them and, you know, and you start feeling guilty because, you know what, God told me to do that and I didn't do it. I disobeyed the Lord. And it's kind of like also whenever, um, just an illustration here, like whenever I was a kid and my mom would try to get me to, keep, to finish eating my supper or to, to eat my vegetables. I didn't want to finish my vegetables. I just wanted to eat the meat and the, 
and the cheese and the no vegetables, nothing like that, no green stuff, nothing that was going to be good and nurturing in my body. But my mom would say that there's starving kids in Africa who would gladly have this. But I want to tell you tonight that, that there's someone who's willing to step in and do the work of the Lord. That there's, there's someone else that if you're not willing to do it, if you're willing to just hang back and be unavailable and think, oh, man, I don't know if I'm able to do that. I only have one talent. And then someone else with that one talent, someone else with that opportunity is going to come in and they're going to fill in the gap that you left. And God is going to use them for something great. And the trouble is you're going to have to sit back and watch because you wasted your opportunity. And that's a troubling feeling. That's a troubling feeling, neglecting the opportunity that God has put in front of you to be used, to be available. And so I always want to do whatever I can to not neglect my talent, to not, to not be in, to not neglect what the opportunity that God has given me. So finally, and I'm running through this, and um, there, there's two types of servants that we can be. You know, the, the Bible tells us that in this parable that it says, finally, the master returns and he comes to settle accounts with the servants. That the servant, he didn't, they didn't know when that the Lord was going to return. They didn't know exactly what time or what day that he was going to come back, but they knew that he was coming. And you know what? There's going to be a day when he comes back and he settles accounts with us. And he's going to ask us, Jonathan, what did you do with the opportunity that I gave you? Jonathan, what did you do with the time that I gave you, with the, with the abilities that I gave you? Did you faithfully serve me? Am I going to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord? Am I going to be made a ruler over many things, or am I going to just waste my talent? Am I going to waste my opportunity? Am I going to give it to, to someone else, or am I going to be willing to serve the, my God faithfully? And so what are the characteristics of a faithful servant? The first one is that a faithful servant is going to be willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. And that you find that the Apostle Paul, that he was a prisoner for Christ, that he, he willingly taught the truth, even if it offended the ones who heard it, and even if it cost him to suffer for Christ's sake. You find that Paul was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. Paul was exposed to death time and time again. And in many nights, he, he had sleepless nights, and there were many days where he didn't have anything to eat, but yet Paul... He was still a faithful servant of God. And so the problem with some of us today, with some of the Christians today, is that we're unwilling to face the, the suffering that, that we're called to face as servants. You know, we're unwilling to, to suffer for the name of Jesus. And we, you know, it's just our, 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 our human nature that we want to avoid anything that's painful. You know, we want to avoid anything that may cause hurt in our lives. We, our human nature to avoid, to avoid things that are going to cause us to suffer. Our human nature is to be comfortable. Our, our human nature, our flesh wants us to, 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 live e to have easy faith, as what was talked about this morning, to, to, be, to be comfortable where we're at. And a lot of people have this doctrine that's in their head, and, and, and they read this book that's called Best Life Now, and, and they, they're not willing to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so suffering for the, for the sake of righteousness, suffering for righteousness marks those who are a part of God's kingdom. So there's going to be suffering in our lives. If we're true believers, you know, there's going to be a cost for our, for our faithfulness. And a true servant is going to bear that cost. 
And sometimes it means that people are going to call you names. They're going to consider you to be strange. They're going to consider you to be different. They're going to look at you, and you might hear them whispering about you whenever you're walking by. You may have to deal with them on your job. You may have to deal with them at your school, and they, they look different. They act different. They're not like us. And, and you know what? You may suffer the ridicule sometimes of, of the words that people say to you, and sometimes it may hurt. But you know what? That If you endure the persecution, if you endure the suffering, if you endure that offer, for the sake of Jesus Christ, that in the end, there's going to be blessing. And just like Brother Wells said this morning, that blessing may not be in the way that you think it would be. It may be an early ticket home, but it's going to be worth everything that you endured. It's going to be worth every bit of persecution that you had to go through. Every bit of pain that you had to go through in this life, being a servant of God is going to be worth it. And so a faithful servant of God is going to, is going to trust in God's sovereignty. And so in Job chapter 1, when when Job's camels were stolen by, by raiders, Job, he didn't blame the raiders. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame anybody else for what happened to him. But you know what he said? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He came into the realization that whether something good happens in my life, God is sovereign. Whether something bad happens in my life, God is sovereign. It doesn't matter what situation I'm walking through. I know and I serve a God that is sovereign and is in control. That I serve a God that is sovereign and has authority over things in heaven, over things in earth, and over things under the earth. That our God has complete and utter control over every situation in life. In Genesis chapter 50, whenever Joseph's brothers begged for mercy for selling him into slavery, Joseph told them, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You know what? You know, you may, he may have suffered some persecution in Potiphar's house. He may have suffered some persecution in prison, but he knew that God was sovereign. He knew that God had a plan. He knew that God had a purpose for his life in Egypt, that when his brothers came to Egypt, that he was going to feed them, that he was going to give them food, and that he was going to provide shelter for them, and that they were going to be saved from the famine. And you know what? God is sovereign. Whether times are good, whether times are bad, whether there's a, a pandemic, whether things get closed down, you know what? God is, is sovereign in everything and he has a perfect will, and he's going to complete his perfect will. And so God is sovereign. And so also a faithful servant is going to desire to understand the mysteries of God. And so a question tonight is, are, are we devoted to understanding the mysteries of God's word? Are we devoted to seeking and, and understanding God's word? Are we devoted to giving our time and our, and our priority to getting in the word of God and getting it for ourselves? We can't be faithful servants if we don't know what his word says. You know, we've got to get the word for ourselves. It's important that in this generation that we live in, that, that we get this word for ourselves, that this word is what's going to save us. And so I, and I know it's mainly my generation, the, the younger ones in this time, that, that they say all the time, well, doctrine doesn't really matter anymore. You know, holiness may not matter anymore. That, that stuff is outdated. You know, that stuff, we, we don't really need it anymore because it's old-fashioned. And they might look at the way we worship and the, how much time we spend in the church and how much time that we, that we spend in the Word, and they say, that stuff is outdated. That stuff is old. We don't need that anymore. But all we need is to love one another, and all we need is to just do good. And, uh, and um, that, that type of mentality is, is not true because our love for the Word is going to give us a greater capacity to love others. And so a faithful servant is going to give their time and their priority to the Word of God. And so also a faithful servant is going to do some work. A faithful servant is going to do whatever he has to do to invest himself in the kingdom of God. 
You know, we can give ourselves to the kingdom in prayer. We can give ourselves to God in fasting. We can give ourselves to God in worship. You know, when we enter into the house of the Lord, there ought to be a praise that's on our lips. When we enter into the house of the Lord, there ought to be something about it that we're thankful for what God's done to us. When we come into the house of God, we can't just sit still and we can't just go through the motions, but there's got to be something that comes out of us. You know, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful that he bought, he bought my sins, that he, that he carried my, my sins and he carried my my infirmities on that cross and that he died so that I might be free and so there's gonna there a, a faithful servant is is gonna do some work he's gonna praise God he's gonna give himself to prayer and fasting into into give himself to the word a faithful servant is gonna give himself to to hard work to to a lifestyle of of giving yourself to God to a lifestyle of commitment to God's will a faithful servant's not going to be prideful a faithful servant's not going to be lazy or slothful. A faithful servant doesn't have any problem doing a task that's going to go unnoticed. A faithful servant doesn't have a problem with, with, with picking up trash off the floor, you know, with, with cleaning the toilets. With, a faithful servant doesn't have a problem with doing things that, that no one is going to give them any recognition for. A faithful servant has no problem knowing that you might not see the fruits of your labor, but you're going to be steadfast in it anyway because you know that it's going towards, a, it's going towards the service of the king. So a faithful servant is going to do whatever it takes to please his God. And so when the master in the parable of the talents comes back to, to sell the accounts, he sees that the first two servants, that, that they gave themselves to the master. They gave every bit of, every bit of energy they had into doubling that talent. They gave every bit of energy they had into investing that opportunity that they had into the kingdom, to invest in their abilities into the kingdom. And so whenever, whenever the master seen that, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So the two who put their money to good work, both of them received the same commendation. You notice that, that, that God didn't praise the five-talent servant more than what he did the two-talent servant. He both gave them the same praise. You know, we both gave them the same commendation. Their reward wasn't based off of the portion that they had or the amount that they had, but their reward was based off the proportion of what they did with what God gave them. And so, so we have to put to work what God gave us. And so they, they were once servants. You find they were, they were once servants, but they were, they were promoted to rulers. That they were faithful over a few things, but they were trusted in the long run with many things. You know what? They worked, they toiled, and they invested their lives for the Lord's purpose, and now they have a greater capacity for greater things. And so their master called them faithful servants. You know what? I want to do whatever it takes to be a faithful servant. You know what? When, when I was praying about this sermon and, and it moved me because I want to do whatever it takes to, to be faithful to my God. I want to do whatever it takes. You know what? If I have to get dirty, you know what? If someone says something bad about me, if my feelings may get hurt, you know what? I don't care, but I've got to do whatever it takes to, to serve my God faithfully. I want to invest myself in the kingdom of the Lord. And so. What about the, the third servant that I'm getting ready to close? I want to mention this, this third servant. What happened to him, the servant with the one talent? You find that instead of investing his money in the markets, instead of taking it to the banks, and instead of giving it the opportunity to, to gain an increase, you know what, he, he decided not to invest it. He decided to play it safe. He decided to go, to go bury it in the ground. And so when the master comes to settle accounts with his servant, he tells the master the reason why he buried it, <coughs> excuse me, 
he tells him, the, the reason why I buried this talent is because I was afraid because you're a, you're a hard man. And you know, he began to give an excuse that, 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 Lord, you're a hard man and you, 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 uh, you earn where you haven't put any work to. You, you reap where you haven't sown. You, know what, you, you take up money that you haven't even invested. So you know what I decided to do? I decided to bury it and to play it safe because I was afraid that if I put it in the markets, it might not end up being enough. It might not end up being what they had. It might not end up being enough that you might not even notice what I did with it. So here, I just, I'm just going to give it back to you the way that it was, the way that you gave it to me. And you know what? He had that large sum of money. Why would he not invest it? You know what? Was it really the fear of the master? Was it really the fear of the, of the Lord that hindered him from investing that money? Was it really the, 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 the excuse that he gave? Was it really a lie that he told his master that I was afraid of you? I was afraid of what you might do. Or was it that he had built up in his mind his own insecurities and, and the voices of the world began to whisper in his ear and said, you know what? You're not good enough. You know what? And, and he may have lost all the confidence in himself. And you know what? He, he, may, he may have looked at the other servants and said, they have more. They have five talents. They have two talents. What good is one talent going to do in, this, in the master's kingdom? You know what? He said, I have a better chance to fail than what they do. They have a better chance of succeeding with what they do than what I have. They, they're going to invest more because they have more. And so he was so afraid of life and he was so afraid of responsibility that he was paralyzed with anxiety. He spent more time comparing what he had with what others had, and he decided that he was worthless, that his one opportunity didn't, it, it, it didn't mean anything to anybody. And you know what? He, he had it said in his mind that, that he was insecure. He had those insecurities in his mind. He had jealousy, and he had pride. And so he wouldn't give himself to the service of his master. You know, there's, there's times where those voices of doubt and those voices of insecurity speak into our minds and they say, who do you think you are? You don't have what they have. Who do you think you are, Jonathan? You don't have the abilities that such and so has. Who do you think you are? You can't do what they're doing. Do you remember what you did in your past? Do you remember the sins that you fell into in your past? Do you remember the things, the, the, the past that has a tendency to come into our minds? And, and when we battle the things in our minds, we remember the, the battlefields that, that we fought in the past and the times that we failed, the times that we sinned, the times that, that we thought that we were unworthy because we're sinful, we're sinful people. You know what? And, and generational curses tell us that we're only going to fall into the sins of our past generations, that we're already doomed for failure because of what our mothers and what our fathers fell into you. And maybe our own insecurities speak to us and they tell us that we don't have what it takes to carry on. We don't have what it takes to invest ourselves in the kingdom. We don't have the strength to invest ourselves. But I tell you tonight, though, I tell you tonight, God's already spoken to us, but I believe tonight that God wants to tell you that the devil is a liar, that the fears that plague you, that the fear is a liar. You know what? The battlefield in your mind, you know what? All the voices that speak into your mind, they're lying to you. Whenever they say you're not good enough, whenever they say that, that you're, you're dirty, you're unclean, whenever they say that God doesn't really care about what you invest in him, that he doesn't really see it, that's the voice of a lie. And I speak against the spirits of infirmities. I speak against the spirits of insecurities tonight that in the name of Jesus that they begin to speak to you and say that you can't invest yourself in the kingdom because you're not good enough but God but God saw fit to call you a servant of Jesus Christ God saw you fit he put a calling and a purpose on your life here tonight he saw it fit to call you 
to a specific purpose. And it doesn't matter what the devil speaks in your ear tonight. It doesn't matter what lies he tells you tonight. It doesn't matter the things that, that he reminds you of. It doesn't matter that God has power over those things. And so as I'm closing here tonight, then Sister Regina can come. That I want to tell you that you got to do whatever it takes to invest yourself in the kingdom. That no matter what the devil tells you, don't neglect the opportunity. Don't neglect your calling. Don't neglect the gifts that God has invested in your life. Don't neglect the plans that God has for your life. I don't know what he's called you to. I don't know what God has in store for any of you, but I know what he has in store for me, and i got to do whatever it takes to, to, not, to not neglect the calling that he's put on my life, to not neglect the opportunities, because there's going to come a day whenever he calls me before his throne, and he says, Jonathan, what did you do for me? Jonathan, did you give yourself to me? Jonathan, did you wholeheartedly serve me? Did you give your whole life to me and for the service? Did you give yourself every bit of you? Whether you had one talent, whether you had one opportunity, whether you had two or whether you had five, it doesn't matter. But are you going to give yourselves to it, though? And you know what? God spoken to us tonight. And I don't know if I don't, I don't really know whether to open the altars tonight or to, whether just reflect on myself on the things that that God has spoken but I want to pray tonight though before we leave dear God I love you Lord I thank you God for your word Lord I thank you God for for your spirit God I thank you God for speaking to us here tonight God and I pray God that tonight God that your word God with God ran deep in our hearts here tonight God I pray God that we have a, a love God for your word God and for your will God I pray God that God that you would call us God to a deeper level God to a deeper relationship Lord I pray God that us as your servants God that you would give us strength God to give ourselves wholeheartedly to you Lord to give everything that we have, God, to your service, God, and to your kingdom, God. I pray, God, that you would keep us, God, in your will, Lord, God, God, and that you would give us, God, the strength, God, to serve you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.